Hey, why don't you stand and just have a stretch, folks? I wonder what your best day of your week is. Okay, kids, you can head out now to Families Church. It's great having you with us. Any families that are here today? Still operating. I wonder what the best day of your week is. You know, for years and years and years, since I got saved, as Andrew was talking about um, Presbyterian Church, and um, it's been Sunday. It's been waking up and going, wow, Sunday. Going to be together with my mates, my friends, and people that I like. This is when I was young, you know. <laughs> and some that I don't like, and you know. And it's just gone on and on and on. It's a wonderful thing to be able to be together. Well, this morning I want to attempt something that I, in what I'm calling in a hot potato series. You know what it's like if you get given a hot potato? Do the, do the, do the hot potato thing. You know, you kind of... Uh, well, that's a little bit like this is because I'm, I'm talking a bit about the New Zealand um, referendum that we're having um, on these two questions. And talked into the drug situation a couple of weeks ago. If you do, haven't seen it, please go online um, and, and have a look at it because I think it'll help in terms of forming your opinion. But today, um, I'm talking about this one, which is even hotter. Um, and, and I think it's impossible to be neutral for me as, as the speaker here today. Um, and and I, I just want to say I will vote no, very, a very definite no on this. And I'll do it because of my beliefs in God and because of my research. And I've read a lot of articles that have come my way recently, but this book is the one that I'm drawing on most. It's by a New Zealand journalist by the name of Carolise Trays. She wrote it um, during the lockdown, and it was published, so it's very recent. And she's interviewed people from both sides of the spectrum asking questions. It is an extremely good read. Um, I've seen a lot of death because I'm a pastor. And most of that has been in palliative care um, situations. And in the funeral, which I often will end up taking, the family effuse over the kind of care that their loved one has had. And, and wonderful things are said of those who, who um, run, uh, who are nursing and, and dealing in that palliative care situation. Um, but what I would say is, is not... They are helping the person to a death with dignity. And interestingly, both sides, whether you are for euthanasia or against euthanasia, both sides are saying the same thing. They want death with dignity. And, and both sides are claiming that claim. We've got to figure out in ourselves uh, whether one side um, gives that uh, over the other side or whether they both um, can provide death with dignity. Not every case have I seen people die um, uh, w with, without suffering and pain, but 99.9999% of the people that I've watched or been part of their death situation in palliative care have died uh, in, a, in a very peaceful and wonderful way. From my reading, um, I've, I've, this, this fact that both are wanting dignity um, it comes out really, really clear. 
One side says that it can, can come with palliative care. The other side saying we need to be able to determine our own timing of our death. And to choose to have a doctor administer a lethal, a lethal um, dose of, of drugs into us or assist us in committing suicide. Because this act actually allows both. The act that we're voting on allows assisted suicide so that medication drugs can be given to someone so that they can um, determine when they want to die and they can take their own life. This is a really hard, difficult, and emotive topic. It will be for you, because we're talking about death. Is there any chance I can get an extension on this pack? Um, another pack, in other words. We're talking about death. We don't talk much about death at all. We shut it out. A lot of people fear death, although many Christians would say that when they came to Christ, that any fear of death has diminished remarkably. Let me just say what euthanasia is not. Euthanasia is not someone choosing to, to stop taking medication, even if it leads to their death. Nor is it having a, a, a written decision not to be resuscitated. Um, that's not euthanasia. If someone chooses, do not resuscitate me. If I have a heart attack or something happens, do not resuscitate me. That's not euthanasia. And turning off a life support system in hospital is not euthanasia or, uh, either. All of those things are actually legal. Um, a young, a family who was part of this church, um, their son had, had been struggling with um, kidney failure. He'd had a, uh, a transplant when he was a, a young boy. It was failing again. He'd been on dialysis for much of his life, and he decided that he would not have any more treatment. He took himself off treatment. Uh, they discussed it as a family, and we watched and went and supported them many days, prayed with them. My son Samuel talked to Alex um, about Jesus, talked to about him about the fact that Jesus had died for Alex's sin, that he could be forgiven, that he could have heaven. Alex accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord, but within a two-week period, he was gone. And so I watched that, that situation. Now, that is not euthanasia. People can take themselves off medication um, now. And I've also experienced a case where supporters of the bill would say euthanasia was needed. I was in my late teens, and my aunt, who was single, who was in her 60s, and who lived alone, had a heart attack in the night. And her neighbours noticed that she wasn't up in the morning, she was normally an early riser, so they called the police, and the police broke into my aunt's house, and they found her collapsed by the bed, um, and she'd been there for hours during the night. And they rushed her to hospital, and she, re she was revived, but she never recovered. Um, she couldn't talk, she didn't know who she was, she didn't know where she was. And many times our family conversations were, why did the neighbour have to notice? And why couldn't the police have come half an hour or an hour later, and she would have just died? 
because when I uh, visited her, um, she was strapped to her bed. Um, she was unable to talk, and it was truly a tragic situation, and she lived for four or five years uh, like that. So this is an incredibly emotive, difficult topic for us to be able to make decisions about. So I want to ask the question, what does the Bible have to say into this issue of euthanasia? And the first thing that we find when we look into the Bible is the Bible has what um, theologians call a, a, a doctrine of the sanctity of life, that life, that human life is sacred that it is holy, that it is precious. And it's drawn from um, scriptures right across the Bible that have enabled people to be, to be able to come to this conclusion that God sees human life as absolutely sacred. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and then verse 31, it says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind. And then it says in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So God is the creator of all humankind. And he says our life is actually very, very good. Every, that means every single human being, no matter what race they are from, trace their genealogy back to Adam and Eve, to a single parent, single parents. We are not, as Andrew said, random accidents. We are the product of our mum and dad, but God says he created the mechanism for that uh, life to be reproduced. Um, but he also says in the Bible that he, intimate, he watches intimately, and even, well, that's an unusual thought, isn't it? As life is reproduced, God watches with intimacy into those moments. But he also says that he involves himself in those moments also. If we look at Psalm 119, verse 73, it says, Your hands made me and formed me. Along with mum and dad, God says he was active in the process of us being formed in the womb. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed. In utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born, and every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So God says he's involved in the process. He set up the process originally. He created the first, but he's involved in every process according to his word. And he watches the development in the womb, and he plans out the length of every person's life. And in verse 31, God says, It was very good when I created human beings. On day one, two, three, four, five, it was good. But on the day that he created mankind, he says, very good. There's something special about human beings. So he is our creator. And we are created in his image. 
Genesis chapter 1 again, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. And then it says it again. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we, whether we're a guy or a girl, are mirror reflections of God. Now that doesn't mean that God you know, he's got red hair and a nose like I've got. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not talking about the, um, the physical uh, attributes of our, of our uh, outer body. It means that we carry his attributes, his pattern, his spiritual DNA with, within us. He is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we too have Trinity, body, soul, and spirit. And it's his image, that the one that we are created in, that differentiates and elevates human beings, human life, from any other animal. No other created thing is given the honor that human beings are given. And it means that human life is sacred. We are set apart from all other life forms. And image bearers, in other words, human beings, are specially protected the Bible says. Genesis chapter 9 and verses 5 and 6 says, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. So friends, we carry a sacredness, but also a protection order from God himself that we are not to kill or be killed. And God spoke this very, out very early in mankind's journey. It's in the, book, in the book of Genesis. So everyone could see the value of a person's life. And then it says there's another thing that sets us apart and makes our lives sacred is that God breathed his life into us, his breath into us. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person, or the King James says, a living soul. In other words, he had those attributes of mind, heart, emotion breathed into him. And no other life form was made alive like this. This act of God's breath did two things. It created the soul, which, as I just said, is the mind, will, and emotions. And soul in, in Hebrew is nephesh. It means to be animated, to make conscious. And then secondly, breath is one of the words for spirit. And God breathed, and when he breathed, he not only created our soul, but he created our spirit into us as well. And spirit is the part of us that is eternal and will continue on forever. So as humans, we were created by God, we were made in His image, we were formed with soul and spirit, and we're so valued that to kill another human being deserves death from God's perspective. So our life is sacred. The second thing, firstly, we were created by God with all of those things I've just said. The second thing the Bible teaches us is that as Christians, our lives belong to God Himself. 1 Corinthians 16, uh, sorry, 6, verses 19 to 20. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? 
You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Even as Christians, we often find that hard to actually believe, that, that we don't determine ourselves, we don't sustain ourselves, we, we, we can exist, we think we can exist by ourselves. But God says very clearly, I created you in the first place, but every day is because I hold everything together. And I own your bodies. They're his. Our existence and our length of days were written in his book before we were born. This was spoken to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, and before you were born I set you apart and pointed you as my prophet to the nations. And in Psalm 139, which we've already read in, in those um, verses 15 and 16, it says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So friends, biblically, our time is in God's hands. He's responsible for our life and for our death, for the death of each person. And it's clear there is an allotted time for each person. But the Bible also says that we have an enemy who tries to take human beings out before their allotted time and tries to kill, steal, kill, and destroy human beings. And we have a, a duty to fight for our life and to believe for the healings that God has placed within us. Is that making sense? And so there's a, there's a need to contend for life at times. But it's clear that it's God's job to end life. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says this, Look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me, and I am the one who kills and gives life. The third thing I want to say biblically is that the Bible clearly states we are not to kill other people. Because God gives us life at the beginning and sustains us throughout life, only he should determine its end. It's not our prerogative. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 says, you shall not murder. In fact, there's a, yeah, thank you. And the New Testament ups the ante with regards to the taking of life in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 21 and 22 and says, not just that you shouldn't murder, but it says, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fall will be in dangers of the fires of hell. So we're warned not to do and say bad things about one another either. And then the fourth thing that the Bible has taught and, and has been acted out all down through history is that we are to value the lives of other people, especially those who are vulnerable and will be vulnerable to this law. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world or the world's way of thinking. 
Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And these are all the people, along with many others, who would be vulnerable to pressure or coercion if this were to become law in New Zealand. God's way has always been to help those who are in trouble. And the church down through history, if you read much of church history, you'll find that it has done a fantastic job of helping. Even when society gave up on certain people and said they're of no worth, there have been times in history when children have been left out to die and Christians have come across these children and they've taken them into their families and they have raised them as their own children. So rather than uh, encouraging death, have actually fought for life. So for these four reasons that of what the Bible teaches, I'm opposed to euthanasia. The sanctity of life that God created us, that we're made in his image, that he breathed his breath into us, that we have immense value, that we're not, secondly, that we're not our own and, and our bodies are not ours to do with as we wish. And thirdly, that the Bible says do not kill. And fourthly, that the Bible teaches that the way of the Christian is to be a life giver and not a life taker. I'm going to vote no. But friends, there are also um, some so social things that we need to consider and think about. And what I want to say now, a lot is drawn from this along with other articles. This act of legislation, if it's passed, the wording behind the should we be able to choose euthanasia or not, the wording behind it is actually already an act of parliament. It's not if we choose yes, they'll go away and form good law. It's already written and will become what the, the euthanasia law will be. And the courts will then go over that uh, to... to um, well, I'll come to that in a moment. But it is the act, and a lot of people don't actually realize this. And lawyers have said this. They've said, what is written is an extremely low bar of safety for people living in New Zealand. This, this um, bill, when it was a bill, it was drawn out of the tin in Parliament, and they had the first reading in Parliament, and everyone said it should go to select committee and get looked at. Um, it went to the select committee, and then the people of New Zealand were invited to write in submissions to the select committee as to whether they were in favour or not in favour of it. And this bill had the most number of submissions that have ever happened in New Zealand. And 39,159 people wrote in about this bill. And 91.8 per cent... 90, almost 92% of every person who wrote in says it should not pass. This bill does not, is not robust enough to allow euthanasia to, to take place with, with enough um, uh, safeguards. Thank you. The medical, of the medical practitioners who wrote in, to the select committee, 93.5% of them were opposed to euthanasia. And many said that it has inadequate safeguards for the vulnerable. And many said that doctors should not be asked to change thousands of years of allegiance to the Hippocratic Oath 
to fight for life instead of to kill people. They said that doctors should not be put in that position where they are asked to choose to be fighting for the traditional belief of people have a right to live and we should do everything that we can for life rather than to be the uh, people who will actually kill people. The select committee took 16 months uh, to discuss and bring it back to Parliament. And they brought it back with almost no changes. And, and no, they had not been able to craft a better, a stronger, a safer law. There are eight MPs on the select committee, and they fell into two camps, each opposed to each other, and they were unable to agree on almost any changes. And so instead of the select committee making recommendations for changes, suddenly all of Parliament had to become the select committee and sit until they could make changes to this law. MPs submitted 114 amendments to the law to try and make it a safer, have more safeguards within it. Um, they're called supplementary order papers or SOPs. And Parliament was unable to agree on the changes because Parliament fell into two camps of people who were absolutely opposed to it and people who were absolutely for it, and they could not make many changes at all. There were only three that were uh, uh, agreed to. And so, in their wisdom, they decided to put it as is out to the public and let everybody decide whether it should be law or not. A number of MPs said this is an absolute abrogation of parliament and process. And it has never happened before where a contentious law has been unable to be changed in Parliament and has been put out into a binding referendum in New Zealand. So let me just say a few things about the legality. Um, Queen's Counsel Grant Illingworth was interviewed in the book and he said this. He's a Queen's Counsel, which is the top thing there. He's 45 years as a, in, in law. Um, he became a Queen's Counsel in 2003, so he's had a lot of years at, at the top. And he said, this act runs against every legal protection of New Zealand law. It will completely change the playing field of how society thinks. If the he said this, if the referendum asked, do you think we should have an end-of-life choice, he said that would be fine. But the wording of this act will be poured over by lawyers and courts and there will be consequences that are not expected and they will be legal at that point. In Grant's words, again, he said, it's bad law. It's badly drafted and it's wrong. And mistakes about whether someone lives or dies can't be corrected. He said, the function of law has two sides. It's to allow choice but it also must protect citizens. And he said, this law as drafted does not have enough safeguards. He goes on and he says, under this law, a person can request from a doctor assisted suicide or euthanasia without having a terminal illness first. Isn't that interesting? They can start the process without having a terminal illness. And they don't even have to ask for an assessment to see if they have such an illness. This law, says Grant, starts with an illogical fallacy 
and, and they can ask for something that they may not be eligible for. And that irrationality, says Grant, of thinking progresses throughout the statute. And he lists 11 things that the, the, person, the doctor has to talk to the person about. I want to just mention a couple. The doctor must inform the patient that they're not obliged to discuss their choice with anyone. An 18-year-old who wants to, to kill himself to end his life can go to a doctor and ask for help to be able to do it, and the doctor will encourage him to talk with people but will clearly state to him, you do not have to talk to anyone. The doctor, this is what the Act says, must do their best to ensure that the person uh, expresses their wish free from any pressure from any other person. Grant says the only safeguard in the Act to protect people from being pressured to end their life is that a doctor must do their best. Grant says if that's a legal safeguard to protect people from being pressured, that is absolutely and utterly pathetic. It runs against every benefit of the law that protects human life that we have in, our, have in our country since the legal system was established. He says it's hopeless. In Victoria, the safeguard that they have there is that um, a person can go through the process with a doctor. Um, then there is a stand-down period of 10 days some uh, countries or states have up to 16 days where the person has to go away and think it over and think it over and see whether they come to a different conclusion other than having their life finished and killed, being killed. And then they come back and they apply to the doctor to be able to be euthanized or to have assisted suicide happen. I asked um, Carolise, in our system, how quickly could someone go through this process from first requesting to, to being dead? And she said it could happen within four days. There's no protection for the mentally unwell and the depressed. And when anyone is told you have three to six months to live, and that's a prognosis, and it's not an art. There are many people alive today who were told that, and they're eight or nine or whatever number of years on from that moment. Anyone will get depressed when they're told your life's going to just be gone. But there's no safeguard in this law for that. The second to last thing the doctor does is give the person the form to fill in and sign and date in front of the doctor and then send it to the registrar. And Grant says the last thing after the form is uh, filled in and sent is that the doctor then has to decide if the person requesting assisted suicide or euthanasia is eligible. Sounds like it was written on the back of an envelope. There's a lot that could be said. Let me go on. Grant's summary. This act is illogical and its processes have no meaningful safeguards at all. Or little meaningful safeguards. What about coercion? Grant was asked about this. He said, I've had 45 years of legal practice. I've met many people under pressure, who, people who used pressure, manipulation, and all sorts of devious means to get their own way. Many people in the community are willing to do that to get a person's money. 
It's utterly naive, says Grant, to think that this act contains sufficient safeguards to protect people from that pressure. There are countless people out there who will do this. That's why our criminal courts are full every day of people being sentenced for wrongdoing. Medical. A terminal illness that will take a person's life uh, within a very short amount of time. As I said, a, the doctors will tell you that a prognosis is not science. It's an art. It's an educated guess. You know, when anyone receives a prognosis of imminent death, depression is, is very common. One doctor said this, um, if you move from a world where a doctor doesn't kill a patient to one where a doctor does kill patients, it's a completely different world. And what about the disability sector? There are many people with disabilities now who live with those conditions, and the makers of the bill consider that those conditions are reason enough to legalize euthanasia. And these disabled people don't want to die simply because someone has to help them to be able to live their life, even to clean their, their bottom. They're glad of life and the closeness their disability has brought the, them to others and the aroha they receive from people who are helping them to be able to live with dignity. And this bill discriminates against the disabled. It devalues their lives and it places pressure upon them to use it and to kill themselves. One person um, in the UK who is a UK TV star, uh, Liz Carr, says this, one person's right to die becomes another person's feeling that it's their duty to die. And then there's the slippery slope. This law is already discriminatory from the start because it says you can't use it unless you're 18. It's an arbitrary thing to say that 18 is a, a time at which um, it can be used and not used. Um, and only those with terminal illnesses within six months can use it. Law expands. Law moves on that slippery slope, if you like, as to how it's interpreted by the courts. Eventually, this law will be broadened and broadened and broadened in the way that it is viewed. And then palliative care. I'm not personally sure that euthanasia provides death with dignity. People have survived fatal injections. But I'm sure that palliative care's goal is to give people death with dignity. And so for all of these reasons, I will be voting no. Firstly, it's formed by my biblical understanding of the sanctity of life. And secondly, from my research of the shockingly poor legislation put before us as a country to actually have enough safeguards that people who should not be killing themselves but encouraged to live will not end up gone. So I encourage you to consider deeply your decision, to do your own research into this. And to take the risk, once you've formed an, a strong opinion, to discuss your position with your family and your friends and even out in just general public situations in a respectful and an intelligent manner because that discussion is so needed in society. Because we do, we do not have an impartial government. 
we have a government that's framed both bills in very positive-sounding language, but they're not spelling out both sides of the issue. And so one thing I'd encourage you to do is just to send the link of this message out around your friends and have those conversations. We had a great Zoom dinner the other night with our family, and we brought this up and had the most interesting conversation um, discussing uh, where we all, all sat and, and, uh, and settled on this issue. Can I invite our music team to come back up and just to finish us with a song? <laughs>